On this episode of Blue 58, much like their situation at running back, the Packers don't necessarily need a wide receiver. But when has not needing something ever stopped anybody from going shopping? Let's see what's on the market this year. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here yet again. The draft a little over a week away, along with Avengers Endgame. Lots to look forward to next weekend. Let's dive right into our discussion about wide receivers. I think the Packers have two good reasons to draft a receiver this year. And it's really not that different from a few other positions. I think you could make a similar case to the Packers' situation at receiver being very reminiscent of what they have at corner and on the defensive line. Namely, a fairly well-established group of guys, or at least a, a depth chart that looks pretty well filled out, but one that could probably use a little bit of depth. And depth is one of those two big reasons I think the Packers should consider taking a receiver this year. While they have a few established names, those names could very quickly become familiar in wrong ways, in annoying ways. For instance, Brett Hundley was kind of a, I don't want to say looming specter behind Aaron Rodgers, but he was the he was certainly in the background for a long time. But then, in 2017, we became way too familiar with every aspect of Brett Hundley and who he is as a player and as a person. Part of that was delightful. He seems like a pretty nice guy. Part of that, not so much. It was a, a struggle, I guess, in 2017 to watch him muddle through that season. That could very easily be the case at wide receiver, I think, for the Packers. If Devontae Adams gets hurt, if Geronimo Allison goes down again, maybe we start learning a little bit more about some of the guys further down the depth chart that we would maybe not rather know more about. As nice as it was to see Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Equinemia St. Brown sort of grow into their roles last year, I think even in their second year, it would be the team's preference to not have to lean on those guys too much. And if there is a situation where the Packers do have to lean on those guys, it would be nice if they had some other high-end talent to go with them. But more importantly, I think it's important for the Packers to diversify the skill sets that they have at wide receiver. Right now, the Packers have gone through, or I guess are on the other side of a period of renovating their wide receiver group. A couple of years ago, we had Post-knee surgery, Jordy Nelson. We had Randall Cobb. We even had James Jones, if you go back a year further than that or so. And that receiving group harkens back to some pretty good memories of the recent Packers past. You get back to 2011 and 2014. Even 2016 was great in some respects as the Packers made their run-the-table run. But we're on the other side of that now. Jordy Nelson is retired. Randall Cobb is in Dallas. James Jones is a breaking news guy on the internet. And that's fine. They're all doing pretty well for themselves. I think Jordy Nelson will probably be happier this year than he's been probably since 2014. Just because everything is, I guess, where he wants to be for once. If he can't be in Green Bay playing football, we know that he would prefer to be on his farm. And that's where he's going to be. But to renovate the receiving group, the Packers have drafted a bunch of tall, fast, Receivers, Jamon Moore, 
Marquez Valdez Scantling and Equinemius St. Brown, of course. Jake Kumro kind of fits into that group as well because he came to the Packers at least, if not the NFL, at the same time as those other guys, more or less. And they're all basically the same with some variations. They're all 6'3 or taller. They're all relatively fast. And they're all more of the long strider, long developing route type players. And that's not bad. And especially since they can all play inside a little bit too, it doesn't necessarily limit your receiving core. But I think it is a good idea to diversify the body types and skill sets that you have on your team. And that's why even if I'm not prepared to say the Packers need a slot wide receiver type per se, they might need a guy who has more of the physical characteristics common to a slot type receiver. That is a narrow difference, but I think a significant one. And it's why I would identify, to tip my hand a little bit here, the best fit in the draft for the Packers this year as A.J. Brown out of Mississippi. But let's not get there yet. Let's talk about how the Packers see their wide receiving core. Namely, one head coach, Matt LaFleur. Rob Domovsky dug up a great quote from LaFleur from earlier this offseason, talking about the receiving core in particular. Here's what he said. I'm excited. This is certainly one of the longer receiving cores I've had a chance to work with. There's still so many things to like about them. Devontae, he can do it all. All those young guys can run and really take the top off. That's an important part to our offense. We're always trying to stretch the field vertically with our three-level throws, not necessarily throwing the top level, but you've got to have somebody with speed to get down there and make sure you're clearing out the defense to open up those deep crossing routes and try to get those explosive plays. He continues, there's a lot of versatility within, within our receiving cores that we have, within our receiving core, excuse me, that we have already. And then getting Geronimo back from injury, how he responds is going to be critical because he's, has a, he's another guy that has a lot of flexibility to play inside or outside. Devontae is the same way, end quote. And it's true. All of the guys, as I pointed out, and as Lafleur says, do seem to have the, effort, uh, the ability rather to play inside and out. I think Equinemius St. Brown is probably going to get a long look this year as a guy who can play sort of that big slot position, almost that Jimmy Graham type role. However, just because you've got these resources doesn't mean it's not a good idea to get more. We've got the depth issues I've talked about already, but on top of that, the Packers don't have just tons of reliable uh, options under contract beyond this year. Neither of them are wide receivers, but Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis should probably both be considered year-to-year at this point. Geronimo Allison, too. And let's not forget, we are relying in this situation on a significant jump from a trio of second-year guys and Jake Kumaro beyond that. So even if the depth chart is in pretty good shape, even if the Packers do have a lot of guys who can do a lot of different things and do them pretty well, it's never a bad idea to add more talent where you've already got some. On top of that, If the Packers just believe that whoever is on the board at receiver is the best player available at 12 or 30, they probably should just not overthink it and take them. Whoever that happens to be. It may not be who we think is the best player, but that's what they should probably do. The worst thing the Packers could do at 12 or at 30 at this point is probably overthink it. Ultimately, the Packers need to get at least one 
probably super duper difference maker out of their first three picks and at least two solid contributors in their first three. Doing too much to try to find those guys and pigeonhole them into specific roster spots or whatever is probably misguided. The Packers just need talent and the best way to do that is to get the best player available regardless of position. Stepping back though, what receivers should you know about? We're going to continue the format that we've done for our draft preview series so far. Best fit, worst fit, sleeper player, a small school player, and then a wild card, a guy that we're not really quite sure about, but who could be intriguing. Would like to add again, worst fit doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad player. I would just have some misgivings about him. The best fit though, as I said before, is probably A.J. Brown out of Mississippi. If you're looking to diversify the body types the Packers have at wide receiver, why not get one who's built like a running back? At six feet tall and 226 pounds, he looks a lot more like a running back than he does a wide receiver. The Packers had an interview him with that with had an interview with him at Mississippi's Pro Day. He had pretty impressive numbers at the combine for the 40 and the vertical with a 4.49 in the 40 in particular. He also did pretty well at the agility drills at his pro day. They were well above the Packers' typical thresholds there in that he met them. I think Brown's size and physical abilities make him a good fit as a complement to what the Packers already have. Here's what Dane Brugler had to say about him for The Athletic. Quote, Brown feasted on slants, crossers, and shallow patterns in the Ole Miss offense, and his tape feels like an unfinished jigsaw puzzle. Puzzle. Missing a worthy sample size of downfield and outside the numbers routes. 84% of his career touchdown catches came out of the slot. He continues, Overall, Brown is a very natural route runner and pass catcher with the athletic profile and competitive character that make it easy to bet on his upside as an NFL starter. End quote. To me, that sounds exactly like the kind of profile of a guy that you can work with to improve in the short term, or in the long term, excuse me, and in the short term, scheme for his athletic attributes that he does have. If the Packers would take A.J. Brown, they wouldn't need him to be that down the field sort of player. He could just be a slot type guy, even though the Packers don't necessarily need one because they have guys that can do that, blah, 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 that disclaimer, of course. You can just let him do what he's already done while you work on him to add those other pieces to his game. Though the Packers do have guys that can probably do slot things, they may not be able to do them as well as a guy who's kind of made his living there to that to this point in his NF or in his uh in his career. The other thing I really like about AJ Brown is kind of using a negative to prove a positive. All of the negatives that you read about AJ Brown are almost all just kind of made up scout jargon. Listen to what Lance Zerline had to say about him on NFL.com. These are all of the bullet points under weaknesses for A.J. Brown. Swagger level against LSU and Alabama appeared lower than usual. Okay, that's not really a thing. Struggled to uncover against LSU mega-athlete Dante Jackson in 2017. Again, kind of a soft analysis there. Faced limited press looks from the slot. Okay, he played in the slot. That's what happens. Appears more quick than fast. Those words don't mean anything. Needs to improve. Needs to prove he can work downfield against NFL speed. Well, there wasn't a whole lot of NFL speed in college. That's why it's college, not the NFL. Drops appear when focus declines. Okay, that's true for everyone. Uh, needs to make better adjustments to poorly thrown balls. 
everyone, again, could probably say that, can get too slick at the top of his route when trying to separate against athletes. Again, that's the same thing he kind of said about his point against Dante Jackson, but you know who struggles to separate against great athletes? Literally every wide receiver who's ever played. Great athletes make it tougher to do your job. It's tough to find a lot of substantive criticism about A.J. Brown. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I mean, just looking right off the bat, you would prefer that he's probably a little bit taller than six feet. It's not super short, but it's also not super tall. It'd be great if he was taller than that, but that's not something he can control, obviously. I like that when people talk about his weaknesses, they have to go to that scout sort of talk right away. And it's not necessarily something that he could have corrected that he just did it. Asking him to get better against better athletes is not something he can necessarily control. You're limited by the athleticism you have. It's all you got. That Brown did not necessarily succeed against better athletes is maybe not that big a criticism against him. And I think that makes him a relatively safe choice. Now, it looks like the Packers might have to take him at 30, which is probably not super ideal, but it may be worth thinking about, like I said, with the best available player philosophy we talked about earlier. So I'm not here to say what the Packers should and shouldn't do, at least not on this particular episode. We'll do that ahead of the draft next week. But if they had the opportunity to take him at 30, it might not be the worst thing in the world. You may not prefer to take him at 30, but you could probably do worse. Let's head on to worst fit. Paris Campbell out of Ohio State here is my worst fit pick. To me, Paris Campbell seems like Trevor Davis with a little bit better marketing, which I guess is what you'd expect at Ohio State. At 5'11 and 205 pounds, he can run. You can't deny that. He ran a 4-3-1 in the 40. That's fast no matter who you ask. And according to Dane Brugler, he was a pretty good deep ball sort of guy. Although both Brugler and Lance Zerline talk about how he didn't necessarily produce how you might expect for a guy with that kind of deep speed. Mostly Ohio State used him as a little bit of a gadget type player. Kind of a little bit of a running back, kind of a little bit of a receiver. Lance Zerline uh, described him as a Percy Harvin type, which is interesting, but Harvin was not necessarily the sort of player that you were able to really build an offense around more a complimentary piece. A at the peak of his power is an exceptional one, but not the kind of guy who's going to be your number one wide receiver. I'm also concerned about the propensity to oversell Campbell's special special teams contributions. If you're selling a guy to me on, well, we can just get him on special teams and he'll make us better there as a way to level out concerns over whether or not he's going to be a bust, that's probably not going to be a guy I'm super interested in. For a guy who's talked about as a potential first-round pick, I shouldn't get his special teams contributions as a a significant selling point. I want a guy who's going to do the job that he's billed as. If he's a wide receiver, I want him to be a first-round pick based on his wide receiver abilities. Ryan Rosillo on his various podcast platforms, he has like two podcasts, as well as making regular appearances on other ones, makes a, a consistent great point about NBA players or guys going into the Basketball Hall of Fame. He always points out that when you're making the case about a guy who's going to be a Basketball Hall of Famer, you can tell how strong a guy's case actually is by paying attention to how quickly people mention their contributions on the Olympic team. 
So if you've got Carmelo Anthony, just as an example, not a, 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 a an indictment on Carmelo Anthony because this is not an NBA podcast, but if you're talking about Carmelo Anthony and talking about whether his resume gets him into the Hall of Fame, you can't really talk about his championships because he doesn't have any. You can't really talk about how he was ever really the best player in the league because he wasn't. He's a good scorer. He could score a lot at the peak of his powers. He was great at that. But the most notable accomplishment on his resume is winning gold with the U.S. Olympic team and contributing very well there. So that's the first thing people point to. To me, that sounds a lot like the, well, just get him on special teams argument for a lot of draft picks. If you're talking about a guy who's a borderline first-round pick, don't talk to me right away about his special teams contributions. That's Paris Campbell in a nutshell to me. The sleeper pick I like in this year's draft may not be a sleeper because how can he be a sleeper at six foot five and 227 pounds? Talking about Hakeem Butler out of Iowa State. If you liked Alan Lazard, you'll love Hakeem Butler. But why is a guy who's that big and runs a 4-4-8 only projected as a mid-round pick? I think a good word for his game overall, and probably the main reason that he is not considered a first or second round pick, would be unsophisticated. He seems like a guy who is not a great wide receiver because he hasn't had to learn how to be one yet. And again, at 6'5 and almost 230 pounds and running mid 4'4s in the 40, you probably don't have to in college. Dane Brugler makes this point. Overall, Butler will have a tough time consistently separating from NFL cornerbacks, but his loose hips and flexible frame allow him to easily expand his catch radius, projecting as a potential mismatch weapon if he matures his routes and ball skills. Saying matures his routes and ball skills is code for this guy needs to learn how to be an actual wide receiver instead of just a large athletic dude. But boy, is he ever a large and athletic dude. In addition to that sparkling 40-yard dash time at his height and weight, he also has a vertical leap of 36 inches, not too bad, I bet he can dunk, and a broad jump of more than 10 feet. And to top it all off, he figured out how to be enough of a wide receiver at Iowa State to be very productive. For a single season, the most productive wide receiver in Iowa State history. He had 1,300 yards. Nobody's ever done that at Iowa State. He also led big-time college football with 22 yards per catch, the most among receivers with at least 40, 40 catches last year. He also, according to The Athletic, accounted for 10 of Iowa State's 14 plays of 40 or more yards last season. According to Pro Football Focus, he was the number seven wide receiver in this class in yards per route run and the number one receiver in the class in deep catches and in deep yards. He can get down the field. For a guy who may be a little bit unsophisticated, you can probably live with that. And if the Packers were to take him in, say, the fourth round, probably a good value pick there. He may go higher than that. But if they could get him there, that seems like a worthwhile project pick. It will also not surprise you to learn he was great at basketball in high school. But I learned, at least if the online numbers at Max Preps are to be believed, that, uh, well, Iowa State may be let's say exaggerating it a little bit. In his official bio for Iowa State's football website, they say he averaged over double figures in basketball his junior season. But according to maxprep.com, maxpreps.com, he averaged just 4.1 points per game. Maybe those stats aren't accurate. Take them for whatever they're worth. Max Preps is not always the most reliable site in the world, but we're, we're juicing the numbers perhaps there a little bit. The small school prospect I like is a lot like Mr. Butler. 
but boy, has he had a long road to get where he is. Jazz Ferguson out of Northwestern State could be of interest to the Packers because he went to Northwestern State. Yeah, I get it. Bad joke. The Packers have a lot of guys from Northwestern. Maybe they're interested in a guy from Northwestern State. Run that joke directly into the ground. It has been a wild ride for Jazz Ferguson to get to this point. Just pulling straight from his bio, uh, a four-star recruit out of St. Francisville, Louisiana. He signed with LSU, played a couple games there as a freshman and as a sophomore, but then got suspended in 2016 after a failed drug test. He transferred to Northwestern State, redshirted in 2017, and then played last year, had a great season, and could have played another season next fall, but decided he wanted to go pro. I cannot blame him after that journey for just wanting to move on. But he also has the opportunity to go into the draft in the same year as his brother, Jalen Ferguson. I'm not sure he's the guy that you look for at, you know, Division II level or whatever that really just dominated his competition, although he was pretty good with 1,100 receiving yards and 13 touchdowns last year on 66 catches. But there were times at which he was dominant. It's not at all difficult to find him catching passes in literal triple coverage. Not too bad at any level. Even if the guys you're playing against are D2 football players and you're hoping to make it in the NFL, triple coverage is triple coverage. And that he was able to do what he was supposed to do in those settings counts for something. If you're just looking for a height, weight, speed sort of prospect who seems to play receiver relatively competently, this might be your guy in round six or seven. Let's close it out by talking about the wild card in this year's class at wide receiver. Andy Isabella out of Massachusetts is, I think, the definition of a wild card here. Massachusetts, of course, is a hotbed of football talent at the professional level. Tongue very much in cheek there. And Isabella himself, well, there's no really two ways about it. He's real small. Five, eight and a half, 188 pounds is not real big at any level of football. But boy, is he fast. 4.35 in the 40, easily meets the Packers' agility thresholds. In fact, in every other way other than height and weight, he is exactly what the, the, the Packers look for at wide receiver. He was also very productive. He was number one in this class among wide receivers in yards per route run, according to Pro Football Focus. And he is a not, he is more than just a slot guy. He's, although just 5'8 and a half, he is a guy who gets down the field relatively regularly and was number two in this draft class in terms of deep yards. But the but on him is always going to be the size question. And size can be overrated. But I have said at defensive line, at the edge, on the offensive line, size gives you a lot of leeway. It's easy for you to fudge a little bit on evaluation with guys who are big physical prospects. You've got margin there. If you're big and strong and fast, you get a lot more time to develop than if you're just littler than everybody else. Because if you're big, chances are there is still a window for you to figure it out if you're not just getting physically worked by your competition all the time. At 5'8 and 188 pounds, you don't have that margin. You've got to be able to win on your skills alone immediately. 
And how much leeway do you give a guy who's not even tall enough to get things off the top shelf all the time by himself? That's not a shot at Andy Isabella. I'm not one of those people who criticizes people for being short, even though as a tall guy, I, you know, could just stick things up really high and you guys wouldn't be able to get them. Um, it, but it's just a fact. You're five, eight and a half in a world of professional athletes who are very often much bigger than five, eight and a half. But on the other hand, is he a very good football player? Yeah, it kind of seems like he is. And other than being tall and having the weight that goes along with it, he's a really, really good athlete as well. Finding those guys about whom you have a dilemma is pretty classic wildcard stuff. And Andy Isabella, for that reason, seems exactly like a wildcard. Let's shift gears really hard here and talk for just a second about kickers. Moreover, why did the Packers wait until now to sign a kicker, and why this guy in particular? Well, I can't really answer that second second question for you because I don't really understand why the Packers signed Sam Ficken to compete with Mason Crosby. Researching him, there is almost nothing that stands out about his game as a kicker. He went through cold streaks at Penn State. He's been out of college for almost five years now. It's been a road for him to get to this point. But I think it makes sense for the Packers to sign somebody, anybody, just to get a look at a kicker who's not Mason Crosby. Crosby had a tough year last year. And it's a little bit surprising to see the Packers not just move on outright already. Because, well, not to put too fine a point on it, but Mason Crosby lost some games for the Packers last year. Probably at least three of them. Two for sure. And kickers are a pretty rare asset. You you know if you've got one and you know if you don't. And last year, the Packers didn't seem like they had one at all. I can understand riding it out in season and trying to see if he figures it out. But I think right now the Packers don't have a kicker. And trying to do whatever they can to get another one, to get a good one, is worthwhile. And if it was me, I might consider taking a very short look at Mr. Ficken and trying to bring in another one maybe before training camp. If the Packers are really concerned about what they've got at the kicker position, and they should be, let's see them do whatever it takes to get it straightened out before the kicks start really mattering this fall. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. I appreciate everybody who takes the time to download and do their thing, whatever that is, while listening to us. If you like what you heard and want to help us keep the show going, the best way to do that is to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. It helps more people find the show. If you want to take that support to the next level, the most straightforward way to do that is to donate a, bo- a dollar per month at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Just one dollar per month is enough to offset our hosting costs for this podcast And it also goes a long way towards helping us build the content we know you love both here and on thepowersweep.com. And don't forget to check out our t-shirts and sweatshirts by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. If you've got an idea for the show, got a question, or just want to say hi, you can reach us at thepowersweep.com on Facebook and on Twitter and via email by emailing thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We do appreciate anybody who takes the time to reach out. As always, every bit of feedback you give us helps us make 
Bloom 58, and the Power Sweep better, which furthers our mission of helping everyone become Smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.